Hey guys, it's Clayton from 316 Creative Works. Hey, listen, if you know me, you know that 316 Creative Works exists to partner with artists, businesses, and churches. Uh, one of my good friends is a business guy. It's the Maynard family, and they run a business, and now they're in partnership with us. So that's Precision Door Service. Listen, in case of emergency, I always call Precision Door Service. They are experts in repairing, replacing all your garage doors and overhead doors. They can be reached. They got two numbers. The Indiana side is area code 219-306-8155. Again, 219-306-8155. Now, on the Illinois side, uh, Precision Door Service can be uh, contacted at area code 708-474-6657. And number again is 708-474-6657. You can always get them at precisiongarage-door.com. That's precisiongarage-door.com. Of course, we'll probably have Justin throw a contact card up there for you so you guys can see it if you're watching this. Again, this is Clayton from 316 Creative Works introducing you to another member of the family, the business of precision door service. Thanks, guys. Thanks for checking us out. Thanks. Thanks for checking out another 316 podcast. I am Clayton from 316 Creative Works. Uh, today's podcast is uh, Talking with Bridget. Hey, but before we get into all that, we got to thank our most favorite people in the whole wide world. We need to thank Larry and Sandy for making the farmhouse possible. We always want to thank our technical producer, who is Justin. Uh, thanks to the house manager, Danielle. And thanks to our creative producer, who is Esther. Uh, guys, I'm so honored that you would uh, choose to spend some time with us today. Uh, I believe we have something exciting, and I am so honored uh, to have a, a dear friend of mine in the studio, in the farmhouse. Uh, today, we are talking with Bridget O'Neill. Hey, Bridget. Hi, Clay. How are you? Good. Hey, look, you? I'm fabulous, man. Are you kidding me? I'm so I'm so grateful that you would uh, you would come here and be with us today. I'm honored. So thanks thanks for coming in. So I don't know how many people out there uh, know Bridget O'Neill. Probably a couple two three. Maybe maybe a couple two three hundred. Maybe four. Maybe four people. Maybe maybe two three thousand people know you. But now is an opportunity for the three sixteen family to get to know Bridget O'Neill and uh, the story. That is your life. That's a story. And so we uh, usually like by starting with today, and then okay. we'll kind of start all over. Okay. So, Bridget, you live in the suburbs of Chicago. Oak Park. Oak Park area. Which is so, kind of straight west from Chicago proper. Yeah, so it's and, a it's the first suburb west yes. of Chicago. Oak Park's got an old history, gorgeous yeah. uh, old town. Yeah. It's a beautiful place. Um, you are you are working on getting married to the love of your life. The love of my yeah, life. Everybody's happy there. Hi, birds. Right, everything's everybody's good there. Yeah. Uh, and you are a proud aunt. I am a proud aunt. I uh, 
Ashley and Sammy. Ashley's 16, Sammy's 13. Yeah. Yeah. And you you have a lot of cats. I have three cats. So that's not a lot. It's a lot. You're not crazy yet. I think four cats makes you crazy, old cat lady. I would have 30 if I could. Oh, yeah, that's not... Oh, yeah. Gosh. I mean, the love runs strong. Yeah, you can't do that. You can't have have that much cats in the house. No. Um, We... uh, You also work. I do. You work for uh, Hazelton? Hazelton Betty Ford Addiction. Uh, So it's an... you, You work for an addiction recovery house or... Yes. Counseling center? Recovery house, counseling center, um... Outpatient services, um, yeah, they're nationally uh-huh. recognized. I want to say we're 19 locations yeah. nationwide. Well, every, everybody knows Hazelden, right? Everybody I mean, knows Hazelden. We print the books. Many, right, yeah. Um, Minnesota is their corporate office, Center right? Center City, yeah. Uh, and, of course, everybody knows Betty Ford. Betty Ford, right? pioneer. And, and a lot of good work being done in Hazelden these days. Yeah, yeah, yeah they are a force of healing. Uh, now, of course... Uh, COVID has done a, has done a number on the treatment, addiction treatment industry. Yes. And it's done a number on you as well. Yes. And so currently you I, are furloughed. I am not working. Yeah. Yeah. For the first time I thought about it since I was probably 18 years old, I haven't worked in, it's been about five months now that uh, I haven't had to physically report to go, a job. Go someplace. But, yeah. but is the center still open or is the center closed? Our site is open, not to the public. We are completely virtual services. Okay. So online. Um, interestingly, we were working on virtual programming prior to COVID. Uh-huh. COVID hit, they fast-tracked it, and we were able to provide services relatively quickly to our uh-huh. population. Okay. So. Nobody in-house. Nobody in-house. Nobody in-house. Any no. indication when that may open up? Summer. This summer, so a couple months. Summer, a couple months. Okay, so mm-hmm. we're so you're getting there, and you're chomping at the bit to get back to work, right? I am, yeah. and I'm not. Yeah. Um, well, it's a different life, right? It is a different life, and not working, you know, your brain starts to marinate. Is this what I want to do? Yeah. So you yeah. do. I have the chance right now. Do I want to reinvent myself? Do I want to go to school? Do I want to go back to work? Um. Fortunately, uh, I don't have to make that decision today. Yeah, it's nice to have a job to go to when the job is available. Yeah, but it's I don't feel um, this huge pull. Yeah, um, to run back to the daily grind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I understand that. Yeah, but but you but you have not always been in addiction recovery counseling <laughs> special treatment services. No. Okay, so. That's a kind of a fairly new. Now, I know it's been a couple of years, yeah, but that's kind of a fairly new chapter in your life. Unheard of chapter in my it, life, right? But before we get there, uh-huh. let's start over. Okay. Tell me, Bridget, one of your first memories. Uh, gosh, um, little Bridget, yeah. I guess would be you yeah. know my first memories. Little Bridget was. Um, uh, it's hard. It's really hard. Um, it's all, I, I think of my life and my upbringing and it's, it's all situational. I don't, I don't attach it to anything really emotional. You know what I mean? Um, I think of situations, I flashes of like watching TV yeah. or, you know, following my mom here, uh, maybe cleaning this, um, backstory is, uh, 
I had a mother and a father, and I have an older brother. So, you, so your your brother Sam. My brother Sam. Uh, how much older is he than you? Fifteen months. Fifteen. So you are literally Irish twins. Irish twins. And you are Irish. We are very Irish. And you're not twins. And we are not twins. And you, so you you guys uh, now. You guys are the epitome, in my mind, of Southside Irish. We are Southside Irish. You are O'Neill's. O'Neill's. Through and through. Through and through. And uh, Wallace's. If I don't say Wallace's, I might get disowned by my mother's side of, of the course, family. Of but yeah. Um, all that comes with it. Yeah. Blue collar, hardworking, yeah. rough around the edges. Yeah. The good and the bad. Yeah. Right? All right. of it. Uh, so. So you had a mom and dad, and you had an older brother, mm-hmm. and you just have flashes of uh, three, four years old just being yeah normal, or what you thought was normal. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that anything about the way we grew up was normal, but for the time, it was normal. We were poor. Yep. Everyone was poor. Yep. It was the 80s. Yep. Um our my father was an active alcoholic. Uh-huh. Um, my mother was a recovering alcoholic. Okay. Uh, involved in the program of AA. Um, so my memories with my mom were going to meetings, literally as a child. Yeah, so you went with your mom to AA. Yeah, to so yeah. how did you know or become cognizant of the fact that your dad was an alcoholic? It was spoken. Okay, so it wasn't something where they sat you down later in life. No, and no. S- you know, and you just, like, like... Like, nobody, you don't ever remember somebody right. teaching you how to brush your teeth. You no. don't remember everyone sit, sitting you down saying, your name is Bridget. Yeah. It was just always part of your family knowledge. Always, right? yeah. It's it's a part of, like, the whole family, the whole clan, if you will. Alcohol, drugs, dysfunction has always been a constant. Yeah. And for, for generations. For generations. Yeah. Um, And my mom was very transparent about that. Uh-huh. This is this is what we live in, you know, and this is what this is. This is why they act the way they do and also being exposed to it. You know, aunts and uncles with beers in their hands, cousins drunk. You know, it was it was just always um, you know, addiction and alcohol was always a part of our lives. Yeah. It's this like, you know, a friend. Yeah. That so, isn't friendly. So so as a kid, I mean, so you, you, you get to be about five five, six years old mm-hmm. and you're just your 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 whole family is just about alcohol. Yeah. Right. Messy. Um tell me about your dad. Um my father I know my father loved me. Yeah. A lot. Um, my father was a Vietnam veteran, and from what I understand that, that shaped a lot of who he was. Um, he was a, you know, like I say, I know he loved me because that needs to be said. However, he was, there was always a layer of my dad that you never really quite got to, you know, um, he was cold and he was stern, uh, rigid, um, hilarious, um, Brilliant, um, but always, you know, very, I, I would really say textbook veteran. You know, he did two he, combat tours. He was wounded in action. Um, PTSD. PTSD, for sure. Agent Orange. I didn't, he passed yeah. from cancer related to Agent Orange. Okay. Um, so, you know, that was my father. Mm-hmm. Um, he was present, but he wasn't. Well, uh, was he a fun drunk, a funny drunk, a mad, a mad, angry drunk, a violent drunk? Um, you know, from what I understood, he was just dad. 
Yeah. So I couldn't tell him drunk from sober. My brother recalls episodes of violence where he was physically abusive with my mom. Um, and from what I understand, my mom put the stop to that. Like, I think one day he went too far. She got back at him and he never put a hand on her again. I, because she, she, she I, I knew her a bit. She, mm-hmm. she was so nice, but she wasn't one to be trifled with. Like, no. you don't F. You don't with. F. No, you don't mess with Red. Um, yeah. My mom's nickname was Red for red hair. Yeah. Um, you don't mess with Red. Yeah. No, uh, I did. But You're right. You're yeah. The only one. Yeah, no, my mom was a force to be reckoned with. Um, but not mean. You know what I mean? Like, just, you ever meet those people where you just know, don't cross? You know, and you don't want, you don't want none of that. Um, Because she was so kind and loving and giving that, you know, if and when it did come out, woo doggy. So, so your dad worked? Sporadically. Uh, He was an alcoholic, just common knowledge. Yeah. And and your mother never drank, that you know of. That I know of. So she was in recovery before you were born. No, she... Um, my mom, my mom got sober when I was three years old. Okay. She was coming home from the tavern one night and she said that she was crawling up the stairs and I was at the top of the stairs and she said she saw my face and that was the last day she drank. So So. you, uh, the, 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 your, your mother's love Mm -hmm. for you got her sober yeah yeah which is it doesn't it doesn't fall short on me it doesn't fall short on me at all um the path that i took her unwavering love and the things um the sacrifices that she made in her lifetime for the people she cared about that was my mom that was my mom but it really you know she would be the one that would eventually get me sober so it's just it's a very full circle kind of thing um, your your father died of cancer. He did. Sorry to hear that. Thank you. Um, it's been a while now, though. Yeah, I was seventeen. You were seventeen when yeah. your dad died, and I'm forty five now, so it's been almost thirty years. So, um, do you remember getting the call? Do you remember? I was there at the hospital. Yeah, so I was he, there. He took you, and when he got tested or whatever, and they mm-hmm. went in. And what what did the doctor say? Do you remember? I no, I was there when he passed. Um, okay. I wasn't there when he got the diagnosis. I, I saw him later that day, and he just sat me down. It was really weird because he was living in a like this weird men's rooming house and next to the bar that he drank at. And just my dad lived very simply. Uh, his life revolved around his drinking. Okay, so were your mom and dad divorced? Oh yeah. Oh, they were. Yeah, they divorced when I was thirteen. Oh okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, so then you lived with your mom, you and your brother lived with your mom mm-hmm. and you would go see your dad once in a while. And he, right. He lived in the bar, like literally. He, yeah, he would... worked at the bar and lived two doors down upstairs from the other bar yeah. on a block that was only three bars. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's a very small world. <laughs> three bars and one stop sign. He was a yeah. simple man. <laughs> yeah. He knew what he wanted and he went for it. And no joke. Um, what was it like hearing your dad, uh, say he had cancer? Scary. Scary. Why? You imagine they're going to die in five minutes. Yeah. Cancer at 17 is, cancer at any age is terrifying, you know? It, um, but at 17, it's like death sentence, right? Um, and 
and my dad being my daddy just kind of dropped it on me, you know? And it was so bizarre. Pulls this envelope out of his drawer and it's got this like giant wad of cash in it. And he's like, he rattled off some random number and he's like, I want to give this to you right now, but I know I'm going to need it. I'm like, I can't process this right now. And I was there for maybe 15 minutes. I had to go pick my mom up from work. I had her car and she gets in the car and I'm crying. She says, what did he do to you now? Because she knew I was with my dad. And, uh, and I told her and there we went. Uh, so he was, unbeknownst to you, he was squirreling away money. Yeah, to... I don't think he banked. <laughs> I really don't. Probably not. Why? No. What are you going to do with the bank? I don't know. But you'd have to go to the bank, and that wasn't next to the bar. Yeah. I mean... So, so he, so he wanted to give you money. Yeah. Um, because you were his girl. Right. But he needed it because he was. He had to live. For... How how long did he live? Six weeks. Six weeks. Yeah, they gave him a six month prognosis, even with treatment. Uh, it, it was terminal. Um, and uh, it was six weeks. It was six weeks. It was very, very quick. And it's directly related to Agent Orange yes. that he got during his uh, service in Vietnam. Yeah, he told my mom he remembered getting sprayed um, while he was, you know, uh, overseas. And um, so he didn't. He didn't see doctors. Right. He didn't take care of himself. He smoked. Um, you know, not that that would have prevented anything, but... His health was not his top priority. No. So by the time it was discovered, you know, there was no no course of action to be taken that would have been life-saving. So... Where were you when he died? In the hospital room. He was at Heinz, the, the Veterans Hospital, and he had been in the... Um, you know, if you're familiar with cancer, once you reach the end stages, they really just uh, give you a lot of morphine and keep you comfortable. And um, he had been in a, you know, the morphine coma for a few days. And um, I was there with my um, two cousins and my aunt on his side. And I went to go get a pop and I came back and his eyes were open and my aunts were praying over him. And it was a very surreal scene. I was freaked out. My dad's eyes were open, and I'm like, you know, what is going on here? And my aunt tells him, Dave, there's your baby girl. Say hi to your baby girl. And they're telling him it's okay to go home. And my dad looked at me, and he got the biggest smile on his face I've ever seen. And uh, tears started coming out of his eyes. And he closed his eyes, and he passed. And, um... It's amazing that even almost 30 years from now, I still get moved. Of course. Yeah. Uh, that was the first time I felt God. Right, so I had no conception of God up to that point. Right. So let's linger there a minute because, the, yeah. I mean, we, we're tr- we on, on this podcast, we try to tell God stories, yeah. right? So you so you weren't raised in a, in a particularly religious home. Not at all. I mean, even, even though, there, I mean, I, I was raised uh, <laughs> fairly dysfunctional, mm-hmm. uh, but there... But, but, but boy, there was there was God. Yeah. I mean, we were church going, Christian yeah. school going, no. prayed for, prayed with, prayed mm-hmm. over kids. You could not deny the power of a risen Savior in my family. Yeah. That's not the same for you. No. Okay. No, my mother, um, my mother was raised Irish Catholic. Um, my father was raised Lutheran, I believe. Um, he had no no whatsoever. Mm-hmm. It did not. 
yeah, not even spoke on. My mother had issue with the organization of religion. Oh, yep. um, she had faith and she had a very spiritual side being in the program of AA. Um, however, she did not impose that on us. Oh. She left that to us to find our own way. So in your father's hospital room, uh-huh. he passed. Yeah. And it still chokes you up, and it should, yeah. right? Because death is not right. No. Right? Um, you felt God for the first time. Yeah, it was so beautiful. It was so beautiful. And and just um, this presence that literally five minutes before that, this man was comatose. And I come in, and, and he was able to look at me, and I saw, you know, eye to eye. And the smile you know, that this man who wasn't even there five minutes ago, here he is with a smile for me, right? And then the tears, you know? And I knew unequivocally that my father was going to heaven, you know? So that, you know, the fear and the terror and all this this scary stuff that's attached to death, I had none of that, none of that. Oh, what a friggin' blessing. So there must have been a time, sometime in his life, that he had a faith or a belief. Yeah. Uh, because if because if if God was there, right, God took him home. Sure. You know, we had a very similar experience when my dad died. Uh huh. Right. So I was I was there with my uh, two sisters, uh, a niece and my wife, mm-hmm. uh, and and that um, traveling from the living to the dying, uh, there was a sweet presence. Yeah. And as a matter of fact, for us, there was actually a, a sweet aroma yeah. that entered the room. Sure. And there was such a peace to that, that we knew, we felt uh, the presence uh, come to take him away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've heard that about the smell. I, I don't remember. Mm-hmm. I really don't. Um, I just know the calming feeling that I had, you know, that, and just to... We weren't alone, you know. But you're, it's interesting that your aunts were praying. Yeah. My Aunt Karen was speaking in some crazy tongues. I, I'm no joke. Was it like, German? <laughs> right. We're Irish. Right, right. Um, no, and, and, and she would tell us that she had no idea what she was saying, where it was coming from, you know, what was going on. She, she had something going on, and... It was intense. It was so intense. I, I figured I figured we would we would go down a rabbit hole at some yeah, time. Today, yeah. But let's. I guess let's let's start. So okay. So your your aunt, your your dad's sister. Well, it's just my cousin, but okay. she was the same age as my father, she so was, I call them aunts. Okay. So so she's in the hospital room with your dad as he lies dying, and mm-hmm. she starts speaking in tongues, right? I mean, that's what the church calls her. Yes. So she's speaking in tongues. Yes. And she's never done that before. No. No, she had a very strong faith. Okay. She was she was very Christian. Uh, she she went to worship and all that stuff. Uh-huh. Um, that was Aunt Karen's jam. Um, and her sister, my Aunt Matza, was next to her. And Aunt Matza was the one speaking to my dad, uh-huh. telling him, you know, go home, you know, all that. And then my Aunt Helen, their mother was just kind of quiet, like, well, I don't know what's going on here, right, right, right. but yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's amazing. Yeah. So you were in the presence of holy. Oh, totally. Um, because your aunt was speaking holy. She was the vessel, right? probably, right? 
If you think about it. Uh, yeah, well, the Holy Spirit, right? Mm-hmm. The Holy Spirit is there and, and alive. So uh, what did that do to you? Mm-hmm. In that moment? Yeah. Um, it allowed me to sustain that moment. Uh-huh. You know, um, if I were to tell you that it was this big life-changing event for me, I'd be lying. Uh-huh. Um, you know, because after that, then the whirlwind of death takes over and, you know, that moment was lost. But I always knew throughout my life what happened in that room. Right. Never forget, right? Never. Never forget what God has done. Right. Right. Okay. Uh, And we're going to get back to that because that is like the turning point in your story. Mm. Uh, What did did that immediate death uh, do to uh, your brother? Mm. My brother was kind of established. Like, he had a girlfriend. He had a job. Uh, he was um, independent. Um, he had a strange relationship with my father. I, that makes sense. Yeah. They weren't the best of friends. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, I'd like to... S- I can't really say what that did to Sam. You know, um, I'm sure he has some feelings about it. Yeah. You know, and I'm sure they don't want you to speak for him, but yeah, he just kind of took his lumps and kept on living. That's what my brother does, right? What did uh, what did this do to your mom? Um, my mom was remarried. Oh, she was. Yeah, okay. she was. So she got back to the business of her life as well. We all just kind of went on. I, at the time, I wasn't living with my mom. Yeah. I had been I had been asked to leave the house. Uh, but by your mom. By my mom. Where where were you living? I was living with my aunt that was praying in tongues. Okay. Um so you were living at that time anyway in a Christian household. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. So there was a, a, a thumbprint, a fingerprint of God in your life. Yeah. At that time anyway. Yes. Yes. Um I was wrapped up in what seventeen-year-olds get wrapped up? Yeah, in. Yeah. I was I was beginning to scratch the surface of my my own insanity. Mm-hmm. You know my the path that I would end up taking. Yeah. So. And so we are going to have to take a break. We're we're going to get into talking with Bridget O'Neill number two coming up for you guys next week. But 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 we are going to get into some of the destruction, right? Some of the life choices. Some of. Uh, well, we're going to get into Bridget next time on Talking with Bridget O'Neill. Thanks, guys. Thanks for checking us out. I'm Clayton from 316 Creative Works. You've been watching another 316 podcast. Hey, this is Clayton from 316 Creative Works talking about our podcast. Listen, if you like any of this stuff that you saw or you heard, I'm going to give you a couple places where you might find it besides coming in live to the Farmhouse Studios. There's a couple platforms you can find these on. Um, <clears throat> so you can check out Facebook, YouTube. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iTunes, and SoundCloud. So for the cheap seats in the back there, let me say this one more time. You can go to Facebook, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iTunes, and SoundCloud. You can find it under 316 Podcasts.